So today, um, the church globally is celebrating Epiphany, which um, I was I was going to talk on something else. Before Christmas, I planned a talk for this morning and was like, this is what I'm going to speak on. And then over the last couple of weeks, God's really been speaking to me about um, the wise men. And so because it was Epiphany on Thursday, I thought, now is the opportunity. So for those of you that have packed away your Christmas decorations, you've done with the beginning of Luke's gospel until next December. Um, you're going to have to get it back out again and just you know get back into that, that frame of mind. Um, so yeah, traditionally, uh, the church globally on the 6th of January celebrates Epiphany, which celebrates the Magi, the kings, the wise men visiting Jesus, probably um, when he was two or three years old. So they actually arrived to meet um, a toddler. For those of you that have one and two-year-olds, you um, can imagine what that might be like. Um, Epiphany also is a moment, isn't it? It's a, a moment of sudden and great revelation or realization, which is why I'm pretty sure that Epiphany is called Epiphany, because the wise men, the, the magi, the kings, they had this sudden revelation or this realization of who Jesus was and what he meant for the rest of history. So I'm going to read of the event to remind you just in case, like I say, you've kind of put Christmas behind you. Um, so I'm going to read from Matthew 2, starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. The, the text will appear behind me, but if you've got a Bible and you want to follow it along, please do. So Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born? He asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet's prophet wrote in Bethlehem of Judea O Bethlehem of Judea you you are not just a lowly village in Judea for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel then Herod sent a message to the wise men asking them to come to see him at this meeting he learned the exact time when they first saw the star then he told them go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. Then, he, then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So these kings, these wise men, these magi, scholars, spiritual priestly leaders perhaps, it's not exactly known where they came from or how many, sorry, it's not exactly known who they were, or how many of them there were. 
But it is agreed that these men were in a, a position of authority or they were astrologers who could read the skies. And they came from Babylon, perhaps a place called Parthia. It's possible that they were actually Jews still living in Babylon as a result of the exile, or they were heavily influenced by the Jewish remnant. Hence, they knew some prophecies regarding a future king. But whoever, it, whoever they were, it's agreed that they were men who could read the stars and they noticed a new star appear. They recognized the significance of this new star because it referred to a king. And they decided it was worth traveling thousands of miles in order to find him. And there are four things that struck me about this event over the last couple of weeks as I've read it and reread it and reread it again. The first thing is that these magi, they searched for Jesus. He wasn't obvious. The second thing is they worshipped him for who he was, not what he could do for them. Thirdly, their worship was sacrificial. And fourthly, after they'd worshipped, God spoke to them clearly. So I'm just going to unpack those four things. Firstly, they searched for Jesus. These men were wise, hence their title that most of us know them by. They were wise men. They knew the skies. And as I say, they may have been priests, they, but they knew that a king had been born, yet they still needed to search for him. Hence, they found themselves at the palace of King Herod. Where else would a king be born but in a palace? They needed to ask. They needed to ask where this new king, this king of the Jews was. So the sign of Jesus' birth was obvious to them, obvious to them in their reading of the skies, but yet the details were a mystery. Now, I absolutely believe that God can make himself obvious to anybody that asks. For sure he can. He's a supernatural God. But I also think there's always mystery with him. God's desire for us for the wise men, is that we seek him, that we search for him, that we, um, with our friends and families, we seek him. It takes a bit of effort. It's not so obvious we just have to sit back and relax. You know, we need to show some willing to be prepared to get out of bed to try and encounter him. You know, these magi, they traveled thousands of miles to find him. And they got lost in a bit of the detail. But they knew that somebody important had been born and they wanted to meet him. For us, for our families, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, yes, we can absolutely pray that God miraculously reveals himself to us, just like the star for the wise men. But it may be that we all need a bit of help with the detail, help with the mystery. You know, that's one of the reasons I love church. I love gathering as the people of God and in small groups as well because we get to look at the detail. We get to discuss the mystery. We get to encourage one another as we walk with Jesus. You know, we all need help finding him, worshipping him and becoming like him. This isn't a solo thing. 
I heard a story just this week of a friend who was retelling his story of how he came to know Jesus, uh, of how he became a Christian. And he was saying that as a teenager, he had a radical encounter with God, which meant that God for him became undeniable. But it wasn't until he stepped into a church a year or so later that he met other people that were trying to follow Jesus, that he then started to work out what it was to follow Jesus, what it looked like to be a follower. You know, it's like he saw the star a couple of years earlier before he really started to grapple with the detail and the mystery. Have you seen the star? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And now do you need a bit of help with the detail? Do you need to begin that transformation to become like Jesus? That's why we need church and small groups. You know, it might be that Alpha is the perfect place for you to begin to look at the detail. As I say, our Alpha course begins this Tuesday. And it's on Zoom, so it's totally accessible. It's the place where you can begin to understand the detail. You know, will you search for Jesus, especially when he's not that obvious? Searching might mean learning more. But it might mean that once we've seen Jesus, we just need to grasp hold of him and we need to ask more of him. Jesus is always here, but we lose sight of him in the busyness of life. We sing a song occasionally, and I don't know what it's called, but the line that really sticks out to me whenever we sing it is, even when we can't feel it, you're working. Even when we can't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And I would say, you, God, Jesus never stops. He never stops being here. He never stops um, fighting for us. But we need to seek him. Will we, as we, as we look ahead to 2022, will we search for him? Will we seek him and his kingdom? Will we ask for help like the wise men did? Okay, so they asked Herod, but they got the answer they needed. If we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to be more like Jesus in January 2023 than we are now, we need a plan. It won't just happen. We need to be intentional. So they searched for Jesus, even when he wasn't obvious. Secondly, they worshipped him for who he was, not what he could do for them. You know, when they'd found the details, they, Herod's religious leaders and priests had given them um, more understanding regarding where Jesus was born. Uh, they set on their way again and the star reappeared and they were filled with joy. They found this toddler Jesus in Mary's arms and they... And as far as we're aware, their immediate response was to bow down and worship him. They weren't put off by the fact he was a child. He couldn't do anything for them there and then other than maybe present them with a dirty nappy or a little bit of puke. He wasn't going to perform any miracles. He couldn't uh, make decrees to support them. But the, the, the magi, the wise men that came, they had an epiphany. They knew they knew in their souls who Jesus was. He was the king, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They were in the presence of the Holy One, of the one and only God. 
It's likely that their background, if they were priests, it wasn't, they weren't priests in the Jewish tradition. They would have been aware of, of multiple gods, but yet they, they encountered Jesus and they knew who he was. They fell down before him and worshipped him. So in the Middle East, they still bow down today to worship. These guys fell down and worshipped. Their whole body posture was one of humility in the presence of greatness. Jesus' sheer presence caused a reaction. What is your reaction to the presence of Jesus? You know, I think we've got so much to learn in the West about, about worship. You know, our, I think our, our most extravagant worship is probably both arms in the air, right? And maybe for those of us that are extroverts, that comes more easily. But for these guys, they're, they're, it was such a physical demonstration of worship. And it's not just for the enthusiastic. It's not just for the extroverts. But when we know who Jesus is, when we catch a glimpse of him, when we encounter his presence, I would argue that that demands a reaction from us, a physical reaction at that. Jesus, the Son of God, the flesh and blood of, of the Creator God, the Alpha and the Omega demands our worship, demands my life, my soul, my all, as Isaac Watts penned in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. How often is our worship dependent on how we feel? What's going on for us right now? Whether we like or know the song or not. What is our internal dialogue when we come to worship? We are created, we are intrinsically de designed to worship at a soul level. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something else or someone else. Do I kneel at the idol of me? Of a career? Of a pay packet? Of an image? Of a relationship? Of a sports team? Of social media likes? We don't worship Jesus because of what he can do for us. The Magi worshipped a baby who couldn't even speak their names. We worship Jesus because of who he is, the son of the living God. But the most amazing thing about Jesus is that we can't outgive the giver. God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the ultimate giver. And as we give of ourselves in worship, he gives back to us abundantly because that is his very nature. Will we follow the Magi's example and worship Jesus for who he is, not for what he can give us? Thirdly, their worship was sacrificial. The Magi encountered Jesus and they gave. They gave of their time, their energy, their comfort and their reputation. They had traveled thousands of miles. They'd endured a a pretty rough journey, probably. They'd have um, had to search out for water. They probably wouldn't have slept very well. They didn't actually even know where they were going. They probably would have encountered bandits on the way. And then they had to endure the deceptive Herod in order to find out exactly where they were going. 
They endured a lot to get to this place. And when they arrived at the feet of Jesus, they gave again. They gave of their worship and then they gave of their costly gifts, their expensive gifts that prophetically uh, identified who Jesus was. They gave gold because he was a king, frankincense to show that he was a deity, a myrrh, prophetically talking about anointing his body before death. Their worship cost them. How much does our worship cost us? Do we carve out time daily to worship and prioritize Jesus? Is, wor- is worshiping together as a church family a priority to you? Does it cost you? Don't get me wrong. Getting up on a Sunday morning when it's uh, uh, your only line of the week and it's cold and miserable outside, I know that it's a cost. But in worship, in gathering together in sung worship like we have done this morning, it is where we give honour to him. There's something about it. And for the last three weeks when we haven't met, I've really missed it. Because there's something about worshipping together. Giving Jesus the honour that's due him. Will I give of my time, effort and my gifts and money The magi, the wise men are a challenge to us all. Will we give sacrificially of our time, energy and money to Jesus this year? Now, for all of us that have said yes to following Jesus, then um, the obvious answer is, yes, of course we will give our time, energy, money to worship Jesus this year. But just for a moment in the quiet, honestly, in your heart of hearts, Are you actually worshipping sacrificially? Are you up for that? Are you prepared for your worship to cost you? And living in the West currently, your worship, to worship Jesus, be it gathered together like this or in your homes, it won't cost you your life. But there are a number of places in the world where it will. I'll just take China, for example. Um, If you want to look into more of this, then you can go onto Open Doors UK website, which is where I got this information from. But after nearly two decades of growth, resulting in the Christian population in China being around 90 million, history is repeating itself. The current government in 2018 um, decided they were going to limit access to Bibles, and it's now illegal to sell them online. It's illegal for anybody under the age of 18 to go to church or Sunday school. The government are literally trying to wipe out the future generations of the Christian church in China. Places of worship now have to be registered and it's almost impossible to get registered. And if you you have been able to register your church, then the government is using new technologies to watch people. There is digital, digital surveillance, including facial recognition software, Um, in every church building. And if you refuse to allow it to be put in, then your church is closed down. So now regularly, the pastors pastors are being imprisoned all over China. Christians in China, once again, are finding it difficult to meet together. However, they are incredibly resourceful. They've now realized that the people that they're really preaching to are the officials that are watching them. 
Uh, and although they're not allowed to meet in large groups, small groups are gathering and listening to sermons online as they walk and pray among, uh, a lot across, a lot across their streets. So our church family, our brothers and sisters in China who follow Jesus, their worship costs them significantly. For some of them, even with their lives. What does it cost us? You know, when our services moved online for a significantly long time, um, there was some upsides, wasn't there? You know, you could wear your pajamas if you wanted to. It was, it felt slightly less, we didn't have to get our children up and out on a, at quarter past eight on a Sunday morning. It was used up significantly less time on a Sunday. For those of us putting it together in the week, it took significantly longer. But there was something about it, wasn't there? You know, some of us really loved it. And regathering has been a struggle, setting your alarm again on a Sunday morning, because we found other things that we can do or would like to do. That way of thinking is totally alien to the church in China. The thought of being able to gather like this with the freedoms that we have is a dream to them. The Magi's example is one of worship that costs, costs time, effort and money. What does your worship of Jesus cost you? So they searched for him. They worshipped him for who he was, not what he could do. They gave, their worship was sacrificial. And fourthly, after they worshipped, God spoke clearly to them. You know, the Magi searched for Jesus and, and they gave sacrificially. But the thing that I love is that God spoke once they'd worshipped. He spoke to them clearly in a dream. It's just one little line. He spoke to them and told them not to go back to Herod, but to go a different way. So they did. I find it interesting because God spoke to them so clearly after they'd worshipped Jesus. They knew to go south, not north. They literally changed the direction of their journey because God had spoken. Why didn't God speak to them to tell them that God, Jesus was born in Bethlehem? That's my question. And I'll ask it when I meet them. Because I think, you know, God's... So for me, this, there has to be a connection here because God showed them a star, but there was mystery and there was detail that they were missing. They worshipped Jesus and God spoke to them really clearly in a dream that they could act on and change their future destiny, change their direction. So there's got to be a correlation. The only thing that is different between God not speaking them to tell them Jesus was born in Bethlehem and to not go back to Jerusalem is that they worshipped. I feel totally challenged by this because I know that God speaks and I know that God speaks regularly if we will listen. But I think there is something about God speaking to us once we have worshipped, once we have sought Jesus, once we have worshipped him for who he is, once, we have, once our worship has cost us, when we have stepped outside our comfort zone, when we have you know, set our alarm half an hour earlier because we're going to worship in our bedrooms at six o'clock in the morning, if that's half an hour early for you or 5.30 or eight o'clock, whenever you get up. You know, when we have worshipped, God speaks. You know, and for me, I, like, I feel the presence of God is thicker 
Like I sit with God in my room and I, I have a prayer chair and I sit on it every day and I sit in silence and solitude. I, I worship and I pray. But yet there's, and I, f- I sense the presence of God, but yet when we are here together corporately, there is something different. The presence of God is thicker. And I know that he speaks, he heals, apparently more abundantly. That's why we want to gather and worship and we want to pray for one another. We're vineyard. This is what we do. We worship and we minister. You know, God speaks everywhere and in every way. I absolutely believe that. I think that sometimes we just don't listen. And maybe it is that when we worship, it focuses our attention. It takes our attention off us and it puts our attention on him, which is why we hear him speak more clearly. That's the reason we worship. Because without God, without his presence, none of this is worth anything. I read a quote in Mike Pilavarchi's book, Naturally Supernatural. He said this, Our goal should be relationship with Jesus, not power from Jesus. God's power is never something he sends to us from a distance. Miracles are not like parcels from Amazon, which arrive disconnected from the sender. The power is in the presence. You know, when, our, when we worship, it's about stepping towards Jesus, about knowledge, acknowledging who he is and what he's worth. We move towards him in relationship. And it's from that posture of relationship, of surrender, of sacrifice, that we encounter his presence. And then the power comes. Then we hear him speak. Then we can walk into transformation more easily. So as January begins, as 2022 spans out ahead of us, we might have plans, we might have dreams, we might have uh, things that we want to accomplish this year. But as I said earlier, in January 2023, when we look back to this month, will we be more like Jesus? Will our lives look different? Will we hold on to this example of the Magi all year long? Let's not pack them away. I did even consider leaving out the wise men from our nativity in my kitchen to remind me to not pack away the example of the Magi until next Christmas but to remember that they sought Jesus even when they didn't understand the detail and there was mystery. They worshipped him for who he was, not what he could do for them. Their worship cost them. And as a result of that, God spoke clearly. Will we search for Jesus this year? Will we worship him for who he is? What will our worship cost us? And are we ready to hear God speak and then act on that? The wise men were obedient. They heard God speak and they changed their direction. I don't know about you, but I absolutely want to search for Jesus more this year. I want to worship him for who he is and not for what he can do for me, even though I know that he will give and give and give because that is his nature. I want my worship to cost me because I know that Jesus gave everything for me. He died and rose again. 
And I want to hear God speak. I want to be obedient to what I hear him say. So you've heard me all say that. So in a year's time, I'm, I'm opening myself up to be accountable to all of you. You can ask me, you can challenge me, and you can challenge me along the way about whether I'm seeking after him, whether I'm worshipping sacrificially, and whether I'm hearing God speak.